0: Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911.
1: Soul Patrol Jesus 911. The month of May is dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Make sure you're praying your rosaries every single day. Also in May, it's spring in North America, and the flowers are beginning to bloom. This reminds us of the resurrection and new life that we just celebrated Mm -hmm. Easter Sunday. We are 10-8, myself, uh, Paul Clay, Jess Romero, we are 10-8 for Jesus. Paul, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Jess.
2: Good to be here.
1: We've got a lot of history we're going to be talking about today, but before we talk about all this historical stuff, the Church Fathers and slavery and Christianity, I just want to congratulate Paul. Archbishop uh, uh, Salvatore Cordoni from San Francisco. Amen. For doing a yeoman's job and standing up, probably to the most powerful woman on planet Earth. This is, this is the Queen Jezebel of planet Earth. Nancy Pelosi, by far, is the most powerful connected woman on planet Earth. And a successor of the Apostle uh, has, uh, like a good father, has stood up to her and called her to accountability, Paul. So I just want to give kudos to uh, San Francisco Archbishop, for uh, barring pro-abortion Nancy Pelosi, fake Catholic, from Holy Communion.
2: Yeah, Jess, I, I agree with you. And I think that uh, that the Archbishop realizes that his exit interview with the Lord Jesus Christ is much more important than uh, trying to please men here on earth.
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, and I'm glad that he realizes, you know, his, his age, his mortality... And it's a good thing because once again he's going to be, held render a higher account than all of us are because he's a successor of the apostles. So good for him, and it's yep. good to see a lot of bishops jumping jumping in the bandwagon. You know, it just takes one brave guy to to stick their neck out of the foxhole, and you have other bishops now that are just uh, you know, uh, basically uh, coming coming to his uh, coming to his assistance and saying, yeah, he did the right thing.
2: That's right. Bravery is uh, inspirational, Jess. It inspires others to get involved in the fight. It inspires other acts of bravery.
1: Yeah, and he's, sure, he, he's doing that amongst his brother bishops. Paul, two topics I want to talk about today is how black Catholics became Democrats, the myth of Republican racism. There's a pretty good article written by a, a, a black journalist, but I want to get deeper than that. I want to talk about the whole issue of slavery. I want to talk about the issue of Christianity and slavery. I want to talk about uh, the fact that... Um, Politics is used very powerfully by Satan. For those of you that want to get into the weeds, the article's called Black Blacks Became How Blacks Became Democratic, The Myth of, of uh, Republican Racism. Uh, it's written by a black journalist. And he goes through the history of it and he gets into the weeds. I don't want to get into the weeds here. He gets into the, you know, the Civil War, uh, the Democrat presidents, Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh, he, he gets into all the details for those of you that are history buffs you'll you'll love it but essentially he says what turned the tide here was the Lyndon B Johnson the great new deal the whole uh, welfare reform the whole uh, you know uh, th- this this whole entitlement culture this is what flipped a lot of blacks from becoming traditionally republicans because they remembered that was a party that freedom from slavery uh to becoming the party of uh of, of entitlement the party of, of of santa claus the party of gimme gimme that was exa- the real paradigm shift there uh paul you have any comments because i want to get into christianity and the issue of racism and slavery
2: yeah um well i can just tell you that i yeah it it was a definitely uh just an interesting read and I, as i read it you know it's easy to connect the dots and see how Blacks went almost, you know, from a, I mean, almost 100% Republican to now they're almost, uh, they're 90 uh, something percent Democrat, you know, and and how that happened. And I, I'll tell you, uh, when you read the article, always read it in the context of, you know, understanding the diabolicals always at work. And, uh, because when you look at the things right now that, uh, the democratic party stands for, uh, they're anti-family, they're anti, family they are anti anti, a complete culture of death, complete opposite of everything that, that, uh, we stand for. Jesus said, uh, I came that you might have life and yet you see a party, uh, that is almost, uh, it's like a horse with the blinders on. They can only, you know, they don't want to look to the right or left. They, they're just focused on bringing death. And they don't understand what that death just comes judgment.
1: Amen. I want to give some some bullet points because here's where I'm really, I'm proud of the Catholic Church in terms of its historical track record. The yeah. fact that the Catholic Church has brought us freedom from slavery. First of all, this whole freedom from slavery This comes to us from Jesus Christ in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. The whole Christ died to set us free. So the whole freedom and liberation from slavery, this is a Christian concept that was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me do a little bit of analysis, a historical analysis, so we can see the way the church has been basically marching uh, to implement this freedom through Christ or this liberation through Christ. In recent times, for example, we saw Saint John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and Margaret Thatcher. This was about forty years ago. They collectively brought down communism, because these were three anti-communist giants in in Western world leadership. At the time that the Soviet Union, uh, they backed down from invading Poland because of these three alliances: Reagan, John Paul II, and Margaret Thatcher. So it was, you know, it, it, it was because. They made it clear to the Soviets uh, that Reagan and, and John Paul II and Thatcher would not tolerate an invasion of Poland. And so these two men, Reagan and, 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 and John Paul II, they shared the belief that, that atheistic communism produced evil empires. And as Margaret hmm. Thatcher once also she said, she says, quote, The problem with communism is that sooner or later you run out of other people's money. But going back into history... I think one of the first giants, if if you want to talk about giants, about somebody who spoke out against the evil of slavery, most people don't realize it. This was back in the 4th century. His name was St. Patrick, St. Patrick of Ireland. He was a Catholic bishop. He was also a renowned exorcist, probably one of the first exorcists known in Western civilization. St. Patrick of Ireland, he wrote 1,600 years ago, he told the Irish... You cannot own another human being. And, and so St. Patrick was the first public person in history to protest and condemn slavery in the 4th century, 1,600 hmm. years ago. Let me go a little bit even before St. Patrick of Ireland. There's a the Catholic Christian historian by the name of Tertullian. Tertullian lived back in the 2nd century. But Tertullian... He's the first person in in Christianity that coined the term religious liberty. We use it all the time now. But the term religious liberty was coined by a church historian, Tertullian, in the second century during a time of the persecution in the Roman Empire of Christianity. Nobody used the term before him, religious liberty. Then we look, let's look more into in, in recent times back in Western civilization when we have, a, let's, let's say in the, in the uh, early 20th century, in 1924, when you had the Jim Crow laws that were being enforced by the Democrats in the United States, Martin Luther King was born, but, 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 but it was at the height of the civil rights movement that wouldn't come for another 40 years that Martin Luther King began arguing against slavery using Catholic arguments of natural law. Martin Luther, from his jailhouse, was reading Saint Thomas Aquinas and the scholastic medieval theologians on natural law and slavery, and his greatest speeches that he was giving from jail, and in fact, he even the Knights of Columbus even commissioned a book that was published. It was called "The Black Folk: The Negroes in, in the Making of America." These were the famous speeches of of uh, you know of of uh, 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 Reverend Du Bois and Martin Luther King. They argued using Catholic principles of natural law that slavery is something that's intrinsically evil. They spoke like Catholics, so you can see these two black civil rights activists, Du Bois and Martin Luther, they were steeped in Catholic thinkers. Yeah. Here's something else that's something interesting for people, and uh, I got, and then I'll flip it over to Paul. It we have a document in the with the United Nations. It's called the Declaration of Human Rights. This was a document that arose, you know, right after World War II out of the experiences of the war. And it was adopted in 1948 by the UN General Assembly. So the Declaration of, of Human Rights, again, it we it, it was it was inspired after the atrocities of World War II, and it's a document which talked about all human beings are supposed to be treated equally and they're supposed to be respected equally and entitled to liberty as well. Well, most people don't realize that that UN document was inspired by the Catholic Church. There's a Hmm. famous Catholic French philosopher, his name's Jacques Maritain. He's the one, he wrote this document, I mean, he wrote over 60 books, but he was steeped on human rights from a Catholic perspective and it was the UN that borrowed the writings of Jacques Maritain, who gave his drafts to the U.N., and they said, this is masterful, the way this guy has explained the dignity of the human person, made in the imago Dei, in the image and likeness of God. And so they adopted Jacques Maritain, this Catholic French philosopher, his human ethical principles into the Human Rights Declaration in the U.N. in 1948. By the way, here's something interesting. 198 nations that were accepting the doc. There was 50 nations that rejected the document. They were all the Islamic nations. All the Islamic nations says, no, 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 no. This document argues from a Christian point of view. We appeal to Sharia law. So only the Muslim nations rejected the Declaration of Human Rights in 1948 by the UN. We'll continue this conversation. Jesus 911.
0: Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151.
1: Soul Patrol Jesus 911. We're talking about Christianity and slavery. Paul, I think Chris, uh, slavery was eventually eradicated because of the Christian ethic, the New Testament Christian ethic. In the Old Testament, slavery was an institution that was tolerated, not sanctioned by God. It wasn't endorsed by God. It was tolerated because of man's sin and the hardness of man's heart. But coming in the New Testament, as a result of the teachings of the Son of God, treating your neighbor as yourself, uh, you know, uh, uh, not not causing scandal, love one another as I've loved you. The teachings in Genesis: uh, you are your brother's keeper. And I would argue, Paul, most especially, the letter to Philemon. It's the shortest letter in the New Testament. But it's the letter where St. Paul is talking to a runaway slave. His name's Onesimus. And he's also talking also to the master. His name's Philemon. He's a friend of Paul. And so Paul doesn't tell him straight out, slavery is evil. You can't own a human being. But what Paul does to this friend of his who's a slave owner, Philemon, what he does... Is he starts appealing to his Christianity? He starts appealing to he starts appealing to that faith component in his soul. And it was as a result of that letter, he was telling him, he says, Don't mistreat your slave when you bring him back. He says, Treat him like a brother, not like a slave. And so it it was it was the teachings, it was the moral ethical teachings of Jesus Christ, Saint Paul in the New Testament that little by little chiseled away at slavery. And it was the Christian ethics and the Christian morality that eventually abolished slavery little by little piecemeal.
2: Jess, if I might, if I may jump in, (laughs) Uh, listen, you and I had a conversation uh, uh, earlier and we were talking about the devil and we were talking about his tactics, mm-hmm. and 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 what he does and what he doesn't do. And if you're listening out here, you have to remember everything that you see going on in the natural concepts, like slavery and everything else. They all, re- you know, reflect spiritual realities. Mm-hmm. And so there's just so many lessons for us to learn here. And uh, number one, uh, we have to remember jesus himself he said if the son shall set you free you shall be free indeed you know and we know that he came to destroy the works of the devil and we know that if jesus is setting in the business of setting men free we also know that the devil is in the business of capturing men enslaving men enslaving them to their passions enslaving them okay and so you and I—we were talking about, uh, you know, how Satan. Uh, you know, on, on, on in some instances he he divides, in some instances uh, he unites. Well, 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 as far as division is concerned, when righteousness comes together. So when you look at history and you look at what Christianity had and the impact Christianity had. Uh, uh, you know, after the time of Christ, all the way up until let's say Charlemagne, when Charlemagne was made emperor, you know, you see that nations were bec- uh, were were coming together and they were subjugated under the banner of Christ. Yep. And I, and I would say that was a low time for 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 Satan, because see 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 when good when 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 goodness prevails, uh, uh, you know, life changing events happen and we literally shaped the Western world. Now, on the flip side, Satan then tries to divide, and he divides—one uh, The one of the first things he did, the first divisions, was in 1054, right, when the church split east and west, that little crack. It was like San Andreas' fault, and then the next thing you know, 500 years later at the Reformation, boom, you know, um, fast forward 500 years down the line, and, you know, by some estimates, you know, there's— um, Thirty thousand to thirty-eight thousand different denominations out there, and you want to talk about confusion. Now, how does all of this fit in and tie in with slavery and and blacks? Well, you have to remember, um, um, and and I and I know this for fact. There's a lot of blacks who are very you could, I could call them like radicalized or ethnocentric in their thoughts and so forth, and they feel like. Um, christianity is the religion of their captors the religion of their slave of the slave owners and and they feel like you know uh it was forced on them and therefore it should be rejected on every level you see that you've had
1: conversations right with fellow i I have i have had those conversations
2: and also um you know you know, a lot of slave owners, they would use verses in the Bible um, to try to justify slavery. And an example of that would be in, in Ephesians 6, 5, where it says, slaves, be obedient to your masters. And so they look at uh, the Bible then in a negative light, many of them, and say, well, um, you know, uh, the Bible is nothing more than a white man's book. That you know was was written in order to control us. But Jess, uh, what's your take on that? Because uh, we know good and well that the Bible example, the Bible mentions things like um, uh, polygamy and different things, and the Bible doesn't act like it doesn't exist. it doesn't it doesn't support it, but it just speaks of it as a matter of fact. That's just the way it is. And isn't that the same way when it comes to slavery,
1: Jess? Yeah, that's exactly how you could tell that uh, the, how, how authentic the word of God is. Is that God yeah. doesn't, God the Holy Spirit, when He uses human authors to write down the words of Scripture, He put down the good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen. You know, when He puts down the, 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 the bad and the ugly. He doesn't write it to endorse it or to sanction it, He writes it to warn us against it. This is what happens to a people that violates these polygamy, slavery. This is what happens to you. So he writes it in terms of a warning. But, uh, Paul, essentially, the the Catholic Church teaches that slavery would be a violation of the seventh commandment. Thou shall not steal. Mm. Stealing somebody else's liberty, liberty is a violation of commandment number seven
2: and i would say it's yeah. it it i would say a lot of people would say oh you're stretching that no not hardly that's the spirit of the commandment that yeah. that's that's theft at at the worst level that's right
1: <laughs> yeah here's something else that's interesting uh, and just for for the, for those of you that are history buffs the uh in in august of 1862 which was uh which was 5 months before abraham issued the emancipation proclamation there was already the Archbishop John B. Purcell of Cincinnati publicly recommended the emancipation of all slaves in America five months, this is a Catholic Archbishop of Cincinnati, five months before Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. So the church was ahead of the curve here in America. But even before that, even before that, in 1537, Pope Paul III he issued a royal proclamation uh, with new laws in the New World. He forbade Catholics to own slaves in 1537. In case you didn't hear what, what Bishop Patrick of Ireland said in the fourth century, then about a hundred years after, another Pope, Pope Innocent XI, in six, who died in 1676, he also proclaimed that it was never permitted for Catholics to buy and sell slaves. And that blacks were not to engage in this activity of slavery. So the you got papal statements two to three hundred years before Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation here in the U.S. And so again, all of this is inspired by the Gospel of Jesus Christ, New Testament principles, the letter of Philemon, uh, again uh, the, the teachings of Christ on how do you treat your brother. These were clearly moral, ethical teachings that were brought into the, into America or into the conscience of America by the teachings of the new Testament.
2: Yeah, Jess, I want to bring out a point here and that's excellent. You know, as you bring up certain historical facts and different popes and different positions that the Catholic church took, I see, um, you know, uh, just an, an, excellency there, you know, that, that, you know, the Catholic thought is, is, is far beyond, the average thought of a person uh, or the average thought of the day, so to speak. Uh, these guys were giants. Uh, but I want to talk about now how this idea of racism today differs from what was going on back then, because you see, at that time our country was a, uh, you know, uh, ha- you know, it- it- there were many, many imbalances. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were Jim Crow laws that were on the books. There were people who, uh, you know, uh, you know, blacks couldn't use this bathroom. They couldn't go to this restaurant. They couldn't, you know, it- you know, that was, that was just, the uh, uh, the flavor of the day, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Let me give some historical context. Let's remember that the devil uses politics, to uh, engineer human behavior. It was the Democrats that gave us slavery. It was the Democrats that gave us Jim Crow laws continue. That's that's right. And so now uh, today, and we
2: hear this even in the church and they, you know, and I hear like when, when when we offer up prayers and they say, uh, you know, that all racism will be ended, you know uh, you know, it's something really general like that. Well, listen, our laws, don't support racism. This isn't <laughs> apartheid. Uh, you know, now the only racism that exists today is in the human heart. Amen. And, and the only and the only cure for the human heart is a heart transplant. That is when example when God says, "I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to obey me." You see, we have to recognize. Like sacred scripture says, Jess, that the heart of man is desperately sick, exceedingly wicked above all things. And who can know it? Now, if you want to, you know, if you want to take the premise that, oh, man is basically good. Well, you know, I I can't really say a whole lot for you, but I know my own heart and I know and I know what I'm capable of. And I, I, you know, I used to tell people, look, I know, you know, I'm because I know my own heart. I know that I'm capable of anything. Given the right circumstances, I'm capable of anything. But I also know that I temper that with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy, you know, because I have hidden God's word in my heart, like David said, uh, why? So that I might not sin against thee. You see, that's our help. God is our help from on high. He can save us. And the biggest thing he has to save us from, Jess, is ourselves, our own evil human heart.
1: Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, we need salvation from ourselves. We're our worst enemies. Romans chapter seven. Yeah, yeah the world, the flesh, and the devil is our enemies, right? Yeah. The
2: flesh, this flesh. Yeah, not not your flesh, but my flesh, my flesh is flesh. my enemy. Yeah,
1: yep. yeah. Uh, a, a black Harvard law professor who teaches uh, right now, he teaches uh, history at Harvard. He said that ninety percent of Africans were sold uh, to the slave traders by African chieftains. Who conquered them in tribes and sold yep. them to British and Arab slave owners? So, yep. that's a little bit historical context from a black historian from Harvard University. Hey, we're going to talk about the early church fathers. We're going to stay on history. Stick around. Don't change that dial.
0: Now, back to Jesus nine one one. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151.
1: Soul Patrol, two-man car, Jesus 911. The devil comes to steal, destroy, and kill. And Christ comes to set us free. You know, a lot of people are scandalized oftentimes when, when they see, again, scandals within the church. But let's go back to an analogy, Paul. In uh, the book of Genesis, chapter five, six, and seven, you got Noah, Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. Noah and his eight family members were saved because they dared to listen to God and build an ark. Got laughed at by all the infidels and all the non-believers as they were building an ark for years and years because God warned them that there was a flood was impending. And they took a, uh, they took a pair of animals from uh, from from all the known animals at the time. Uh, Noah and his eight family members they. They enter the ark. A flood did, in fact, come. The world was baptized by water. The world was, everybody was killed that we know, except Noah and his eight family members. Those are the only one that survived after forty days and forty nights of rain. Now it's it was probably very uncomfortable in the ark. Think about it. You're there with a bunch of animals. They're all pooping and peeing, and and they're all you're you're crowded in there. Uh, it probably smelled. Well, let me tell you something, but it was no one as a family members that were saved and the rest of the world was killed. They were mm. decimated. Yes. The, same thing, the same thing by analogy is the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is the Ark of Peter. Now, the Ark of Peter, much like the Ark of Noah, oftentimes you feel like there's a bunch of animals inside and it's crowded and it smells and it's uncomfortable. But guess what? If you leave this Ark of Peter and you jump over the right side, or over the left side, because you can leave the church going to both extremes. Guess what happens? You jump into shark infested waters and you will go to hell. Mm. This is why you stay in the ark. This is the ark that was and guess what? Ultimately, you know who's you know who's driving the ship? The Lord Jesus Christ. You think he's, brother. He's, he's not <laughs> asleep. Jesus Christ, he's the one that's operating this ship. Okay, yep. he just he just uh, lets uh, the popes every now and then put their hands or their hands on the wheel, but it's Christ the one that's that's taking this ship from this world to the next. So as a Catholic, it doesn't matter how uncomfortable the positions are inside the Catholic Church, smelly, crowded, full of animals. Guess what? I'm not jumping off the ship because Amen. this is the ship that's going to take me to the New Jerusalem, to heaven, to the city of God.
2: Yes, the Lord is involved all the way through it, Jess. I'm reminded of the story you just mentioned about Noah, and let's not forget it was the Lord that caused the waters to recede. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So, so no matter you know when you look at man's you know, no, yeah, he was uh, you know in the ark with his family doing everything that he could, but in the end, it's the Lord who saves, and it's the Lord who, you know. And, and you mentioned Jess about smelly and bad things and you know and, and being in that ark. Yeah, that's a good depiction of what's going on even within our church. But guess what? In the midst of all of that, Christ is present. You know, Christ, you know, and essentially that's what he did for God so loved the world that he literally, the purity of of of, of God the Son, uh tabernacled amongst smelly human disgusting human beings and that's the big wonder it's like why would god even do that and yet he does because you know he is this, you know god has instilled uh he's he's given every man a dignity far beyond what we deserve jess mm-hmm. that we bear his 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 wonderful image the imago day and that's you know, again, when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask God questions like, God, why? Because we were everything. You know, God is demonstrating for us, Jess. By the way, uh, just you know how to love what is unlovable. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I went to confession, you know, and I'm, and I'm confessing here on the ra- on the radio, Jess. But uh, I you know I, I had to tell the priest, you know, boy, you know. I can't really relate to the homeless people anymore. You know, they just seem so, you know, uh, that, you know, I, you know, being an ex-cop, I, I I know what, you know, drug abuse does. And I just know these guys are just, you know, strung out on drugs. And, and, and it, and it just causes me to start having, you know, you know, a hard heart. And, you know, and then I started realizing, you know, first of all, any one of them could be my sons mm. or, or or daughters out there wow. and and what i want that same you know with someone to have that same reaction regardless of how they got there yeah. you know it they're human beings in need and they need the love of christ and uh it, you know uh this is what we uh, uh we need to be focused on you know god's ways are not man's ways and we just that uh, these are just little lessons that God has taught me
1: little little life lessons yes yes you know uh, as 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 a catholic we have to you know keep things in perspective and we have to remember that whatever hypocrisy you see amongst catholics or even in the clergy hypocrisy does not nullify the truth yep. remember that yes oh because, yeah the church is not the church is not just a nursery for saints but it's a hospital for sinners ultimately Yes. And one person or 10 persons hypocrisy does not, does not nullify the truth of Jesus Christ. Yes. And, and guess what? If, if being hurt by the church causes you to lose your faith in God, then your faith was not in God. It was in people. Yes. My, my faith is in God, no matter what happens with whatever clergy, whatever bishop, priest, Pope, lay person. You know why? Because they didn't die for my sins. That's they didn't right. redeem me from death. They didn't redeem me right. from, an, from eternal damnation. Yes. It was Christ that did that for me. My faith is in Jesus. I pray for everybody else in the church. I get it. There's an authority structure. I respect it. I follow it. But the fact is, there's only one person that that fits the bill of being called the, the all-sufficient savior, and yes. that's Jesus Christ. Amen, He's the brother. only all-sufficient savior. You know, just, uh, and, and let's
2: keep it real judgment begins with the house of the lord you see so it's not like anybody's getting away with anything sacred scripture tells us let every man and by the way that that, that that's whether or not you're, you are you know you you happen to be clergy or layman let every man work out his salvation in fear and trembling yeah. you see ultimately the judge of all the earth is going to do what is right yes but right now God has provided that ark as we can look at it and say, well, I don't know. Is this this really going to get me there? And you know what I mean? And it's just uh, it's got some imperfections. Well, yeah, but right now it's 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 what God has provided for us. It's what God God says. Trust me and I'll get you there. But this is the vehicle to which you're going to get in. Whether or not you think it's seaworthy or not, I'll worry about that. That's God's worry, not ours.
1: <laughs> that's right. You know what? As Catholics, let's let's remember. This is why we all, in Catholic churches, the central icon is always a crucifix in the middle of Catholic churches. Why? It's to remind us. It reminds us who's our Savior, who's our King, yes. who's our Lord. Jesus Christ is the one that has limitless, limitless love for all of us. Yes. He's the one that His mercy is un parallel there's nobody that has the mercy that he has for us he's he's the centerpiece of salvation he's he's the center of human history he, jesus christ is is all when somebody told me uh he said my dad was dying of cancer and i was I was talking to my dad he said something that just really stuck to me for the rest of my life he says son when you sit here in bed and your body's racked full of cancer and you realize that Jesus Christ is all you have, you realize that Jesus Christ is all you ever needed. Amen. I love
2: that. I, I, what a what something that was a great thing to say, and it's so true at the uh,
1: moment of death to your son, Paul. Can you imagine that? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I can tell you, um, that when I'm sick and when I'm down and, and fearful, I realize. There's no, my wife can't comfort me. Uh, No one can comfort me. The only thing that comforts me is Christ, the word of God. When I read the word of God, Jess, that's what brings me comfort. And that's what brings me peace. And it gives me perspective. Um, So I can relate to that, uh, what that gentleman said. Yeah.
1: That's right. Jesus Christ, he's the highway to holiness. Amen. Jesus Christ is the gateway to glory. Yes Jesus Christ yes. his good is limitless his love is everlasting his grace is sufficient man it just man. i can't get him out of my mind paul i'm telling you ever since oh, yeah. i met him 30 some odd years ago and as a result of our friendship i can't get him out of my mind and mm. I, I can't live without him, and I don't want to live without him.
2: Yes, yes, you're like David when David said, "Whom have I in heaven but Thee, O Lord? And on this earth I desire none but Thee." And just I've always, you know, seen that you've had this intense. Your whole life is, an, it, it's been intense. Whatever you put your mind to, you you always went in, you know, full throttle, and. Uh, when it comes to uh, uh, you know the Lord, the same thing. You took all this intensity, and you, you you know you just every drop of your being, you you chase after God, and you've become such an inspiration to me and so many other people because um, uh, I remember the days when, uh, uh, that was when we not first. so intense. <laughs> well, well, when you, well when we first met, you, you know, you said you want to talk to me about Jesus. I said, yeah. And he said, you got to work out with me. I'm like, That's right. Remember? It was
1: conditional.
2: (laughs) And you tried to kill me. (laughs) You literally tried to kill me. And and I was sitting there sucking it up. You know what I mean? You know, trying my best.
1: We were running the hills of Dodger Stadium. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. The hills of Dodger Stadium. We were lifting weights for a whole hour in in the weight room. Boxing in the racquetball court. Punching the heavy bag. Yeah, and said, and, you want to and, talk to me about Jesus? You got to work out with me. I need a workout. Partner. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But see, God, you know, God, it was God's plan all along because through the fire uh, out came uh, Jess Romero evangelist, And and I thank God for your ministry. I thank God for everything that you're doing. We need to keep Jesse in prayer, by the way, because uh, the church needs more people who are on fire for the
1: Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, Paul. We, we need a lot more Paul Clays, too, as well. We need a lot more VMPRs. Hey, we're going to talk about the Church Fathers. I know this had a big impact on you, so I want to get your take on the Church Fathers. How does someone become a doctor of the Church and what the Church Fathers have meant to you as you came back to the Catholic Church? We'll be right back.
0: Now, Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151.
1: Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two man car. Hey, we're going to talk a little bit about church history. How was someone named a doctor of the church? Do you have to go to a liberal Catholic university and get a PhD and be called a doctor of the church? Nope. The doctors of the church are the teachers of the faith who have demonstrated exemplary holiness and have, de- and have deepened the whole church's understanding of the Catholic faith. They must be officially declared doctors by a papal proclamation. Such men and women are also known particularly for the depth of understanding and the orthodoxy of their theological teachings. Th- though their teachings are not infallible, but being a doctor of the church means that they've contributed significantly to the formulation of Christian teaching in at least one significant area in a way that has impacted later generations. Through the Middle Ages, the title and process of being named a doctor remained a fluid and informal one. In the 13th century, however, the church formalized a process by which the church could honor persons with the title and then put out the first official list of doctors of the church. There are three requirements of being named a doctor of the church. And by the way, there's only 36 of them. So the first requirement is sanctity, holiness. Thus, only those who have already been declared to be saints by the church may be named a doctor. Number Mm. two, second requirement is eminent learning. This is often demonstrated by the fact that they were known to be great teachers of the faith... And the third requirement is a proclamation by the church. Usually such proclamation is made by the Pope. Now, the doctors of the church are are chosen from the early church fathers. Who are the early church fathers? The fathers of the church were theologians, known for their holiness, known for their great learning, and they lived no later than the 8th century. The doctors of the church, again, were the writers, likewise eminent in in sanctity and learning. They've lived throughout the history of the church. As I said, there's 36 doctors of the church right now. And uh, a lot of people oftentimes in modern times, people I've heard, John MacArthur, who, you know, I I respect his stance against the uh, COVID mafia, but when it comes to Catholicism, he, he misses it badly I heard him one day in a lecture saying that the early church... He goes, I don't read the early church fathers because to me they're the early church babies. When I heard him say that, it reminded me of the fact that uh, G.K. Chesterton calls somebody who snubs history. He calls that historical chronological snobbery. In other words, you raise your nose up in the air... Like you're saying, heck, anything before my time, that's irrelevant. The only thing that's relevant is what the theologians in my time say. That's called historical chronological snobbery. And G.K. Chesterton also said it's important to read the fathers of the church and the doctors. He says because they're the democracy of the dead. And when you read them, their writings are a prescription against heresy. Paul, the fathers of the church had uh, something to do with you as you studied your way back into the Catholic church from Protestantism, uh, when you discovered the fathers of the church, Paul, was this an epiphany for you?
2: Yeah, uh, to say the least, yes. <clears throat> the one thing I can tell you, uh, and, and those of you who who may have visited or know Protestants or even attended a Protestant church yourself at some point, you know, you, you kind of recognize something. And, um, when you don't have any type of history to draw from or any kind of um, authority, then you become the final arbitrator. You know, even if your pastor says something, I mean, you respect his authority as the pastor, but you realize that uh, you know, half the time the pastor will say, don't believe me, just believe this, the word of God. Well, the problem with that is that it's subject to interpretation. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned before that the Bible, the natural habitat for the Bible is the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. That is the natural habitat. And so if you take the Bible outside of its natural habitat, outside of its rich history of church fathers, and when you mentioned, by the way, John MacArthur calling it the church babies, well, guess what? I don't know a lot about the church fathers, but I know this. That those baby Christians, many, many, many of them gave their lives for Christ. Okay? The catacombs are full of them. Our stories and, and rich traditional history is full about how church fathers. Uh, uh gave it all for Christ. And the Bible says that there's no no greater love as this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So they had such great acts of love that I would say that, no, the babies uh, are us. We have fought fall- how the mighty have fallen mm-hmm. because even Jesus said, "Just when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? So you see the arrogance, and like you said, he has missed the mark, okay? And he needs to understand and humble himself because uh, uh, those early Christians were given much grace, much grace from God in order to endure the things that they had to endure. And right now, uh, Christianity, especially John MacArthur's version of it because it's, it represents, you know, it's part of the vein of Protestantism which they protested the church that Jesus Christ himself founded. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I got nothing against my Protestant brothers and sisters because I learned to love the Lord by reading his sacred scriptures in Protestant churches. But I see now my eyes have been opened so much. You asked what the church fathers did for me. Uh, I came to an epiphany one day when you, you, well, we were having a conversation and you told me, Paul, says every time we have a conversation about God, you start at the Reformation. The church is 2,000 years old. And have you ever read the Church Fathers? And I was like, well, not really. I mean, there's some selective quotes that people like to quote Augustine and different different. Fathers that, you know, to try to justify their Calvinist positions and so forth, or, you know, but in the end, when I began to study the church fathers, that what I saw was, number one, they were very, very Catholic. And I came to the conclusion, Jess, that, you know, Jesus said that he was going to send the paraclete, he was going to send the helper, and that the helper would guide the apostles and their successors in all truth. Now, either Jesus never did send the paraclete, which we know he did, or the Holy Spirit somehow didn't guide them in all truth as a church throughout history, which we know he did. Uh, And then all the things that the church fathers believed and as doctrine began to develop, it was under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God himself. And so, uh, we need to recognize and understand that the church isn't just some book subject to interpretation. Uh, in fact, I was reading uh, uh, an old uh, publication that I had, you know, as a Protestant. And and it was talking about that the Bible, you know, it was saying the Bible, the Bible, it was God's only answer for this. And I'm like, the Bible? No. Jesus established a church, not a book. Mm-hmm. Jesus, established, Jesus commanded us the, uh, as members of the church to go out into the world, and the, all the Bible is is memoirs and 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 essentially a history of those things, but it, it's not the it's not the cause.
1: <laughs> That's right, amen, yeah. Paul. I remember the first book. I know you read it because you stood at my house a few days, and I get, I said, Paul, I think you'll be interested in reading this. Take your, you know, take a couple of you know, just. Chill out, and just relax, and just uh, read, read a little bit of history. I gave you a book. This is like 20-some-odd years ago. Jesus, Peter, and the Keys. Yes. By uh, Butler and—forgot, uh, uh, there's three authors. Yeah. Uh, and two of them were former Calvary Chapel guys. Yeah. They wrote it's a Tom masterful Butler was book. the main one that I—yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was called Jesus, Peter, and the Keys. I remember you read it like in three days, and it's a pretty thick book. I remember after like three days, you said, Jess— I finished the book. I said, what you finished Jesus? Because it took me like a month to read it. He goes, Jess, I finished the book. You finished it like in three days. But I saw in your eyes, Paul, I saw a look on your eyes like like you were hit you were hit by Holy Spirit jumper cables. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh again, when you really understand God and how he's worked throughout history, he has always done it you know through the proper authority and we know that the proper authority like when you look at israel many times the leadership of israel was uh i would say off the reservation jess <laughs> you know most, I most mean, of the time I, that's probably not politically correct to use that terminology but everybody knows what i mean when i say that right uh and we uh yeah most of the time the church was uh almost uh, in opposition to god but God always had a remnant. God always had prophets. God always, you know, in order, you know, and, and it's there's no different today, Jess. You know, when we look at our church and we see so many imperfections, we know that we know this, that the in fact, if you read in the Old Testament, Jess, the church at, at some point is you know as the bride of christ is predicted as something very ugly you know mm. it's like it's like christ is willing to unite with an ugly bride because he knows that when he does that he makes all things new he makes all things beautiful and uh this is who we are this is what we have to understand and we have to no, the, the, the only message I have today, Jess, is, um, you know, everybody, humble yourself, fall on your face and say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner.
1: Amen. I
2: guarantee you, Jesus will hear that prayer and put your focus on him and let him uh, change your life into what he desires.
1: A- Amen. Catholics, read your Bible every day. You should be reading the daily mass readings every day. It takes five to ten minutes. Meditate on God's Word every day. Yeah. God, God did not design the Bible to be a dark puzzle for bright scholars. God gave us the Bible to be a bright lamp for fellow travelers through a dark world. Amen. The Bible is the greatest heirloom of the Catholic Church. Read yes. Read the mass readings every day. First reading, Responsorial Psalm, today's gospel, meditate upon God's word. The Catholic Church and the Bible are a marriage made in heaven.
2: Yes, and let
1: the catechism be your
2: companion along with that because then then you won't go to the right or the left, but you'll stay right-focused.
1: Amen. Jesus 911, hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to get today's show notes, go to vmpr.org. If you want to get the show notes on uh, the article on uh, why many blacks... Uh, have become Democrats. If you want to get the show notes on the Church Fathers, go to vmpr.org or my website jesseromero.com. As for us, we're ten seven. We are EOW, end of watch. We are out. See you next next Christ time. Uh, ne- and uh, up next, Gary Machuda. God bless you. Keep the faith.